Till Death Do Us Part is a lighthearted and sometimes satirical true crime podcast where we present our dysfunctional married take on serious cases involving other dysfunctional relationships. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the 110th episode of Till Death Do Us Part. I am Daniel. And I'm Melissa. If our sound is a little bit off and we sound a little bit echoey, it's because we changed into an actual podcast room and it's not done yet. So it is quite echoey in here. Very echoey. So that's okay. We apologize, but we had to get something out because, you know, that's what we do. If you listen really carefully, you'll be able to hear us twice. (laughs) (laughs) Because of bouncing off the floor and the walls and the ceiling. We do have our wall up that has, what are these called? My mobile sound deadening wall. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the problem. (laughs) It's like nine feet tall. I don't know why I made it so tall. And there's a fan hanging down that is in the way. So I can't do that. (laughs) We're just a mess. I don't feel like taking the fan apart tonight. No, don't do that tonight. Tomorrow night, I'll take it apart (laughs) and do electrical work. Why not? I just want to thank everybody for sending us their pie recommendations and their documentary recommendations. I'm still digesting pie that we had Thursday. I feel awful still. And I didn't even eat that much. Do you know, I just came home from work today. She just put a pie in the oven. For the children. We don't do anything for the children. It's for us. And I'm happy. I'm actually excited because there is a hot Dutch crumbly. I don't know what the hell it's called. It's an apple pie. And it just came out of the oven. So as soon as we're done with this, we're going to eat again. Yes. Thank you, Marie Calendars, for your frozen oh, it's delights. nothing but the highest quality. I mean, that we splurged. Frozen Marie Calendar pie. And off-brand vanilla ice cream. I mean, it's we are going to be eating like... King? Something. Sure. Well, we had a great Thanksgiving. We hope all of you did too. Daniel's brother and his wife outdid themselves this year. It was delicious. So we never have to cook Thanksgiving again because we're just going to end up at their house. And they live too far away, so there's no way I could bring hot food with us. Although we could bring something to bake, but you know. No, who wants to do that? Zero people. All right, babe, you got some factoids for me? So we were talking to our almost ready to get married daughter, who's 12, (laughs) about marriage, (laughs) marriage, and all the things that she should try and look out for, and when, and how long she should date. I think it was a little too grown up and, I, and serious for her. At and that I time. said, what are we talking? You know, she's 12. <laughs> I don't think any of this is necessary right at this juncture. She's an old 12, though. She's been on this earth before. I okay. can tell. She's not getting married in the next two years. No. So I think we can skip it. For the rest of us unlucky couples, <laughs> this is from LegalZoom which a lot of people are familiar with LegalZoom. They do a lot of self-help legal documents, things like that. So they brought up a list of, well, the most bizarre prenuptial clauses. 
And oh, I want to go over them. Oh, that's good. You're welcome. Thank you. I haven't even started yet. Don't thank me until it's over. You'll just realize we probably should have done a prenup by the time we're done with this. <laughs> we had nothing when we got together, sir. I would love to know from any of our 11 listeners if any of you have prenups and if any of the prenups were specific. Oh, that's good. After this, you're going to want to go and, damn it, I should have added that to the prenup. <laughs> so I'm going to try and go through this quick because I know you don't want to hear me very much. Neither does anyone else. Oh, stop. It starts off with one category and it says Fido, Fluffy, and the Pool Boy. You got me at Pool Boy. Who gets the dog in the event of a breakup? What about custody and visitation rights for the dogs? They're just as important for the kids as for the animals. And then are you going to take the gardener and then I get the pool boy? (laughs) With good help so hard to find, domestic labor divisions are often decided in advance. What? It should be up to the person. These are clearly first world problems. Absolutely. Because we don't have a pool boy or a gardener. That's you, darling. I am because... You're cheap. Because I know, because it's freaking expensive. It is expensive. Oh my gosh. No, I got some. Never mind. It says even babysitters are divvied up between spouses. This is actually a real thing. That's the point of this. Uh, That almost makes me uncomfortable because you're divvying up. You're divvying up a real life person who isn't able to make that choice for themselves on who they want to go with and be the babysitter for. Right. They should get to say who they want to stay with. They could just quit. But anyway, that's just something that you don't think about. Okay, this next little category says football one, mother-in-law zero. (laughs) One client's prenuptial agreement limited her husband to watching one Sunday football game with friends. For a dedicated sports fan, such such a choice could be tough. No word on if there was a clause about watching the first half of one game and then the second half of another. In-law issues were covered in one prenup, barring the mother-in-law from sleepover visits. Another prenuptial agreement encouraged one husband to curb his tongue around the (laughs) in-laws. The consequences? He has to pony up $10,000 each time he's rude to his wife's parents. Oh, so that must have been an issue while they were dating and engaged. So much so that they had to write it into the prenup. Wow. One attorney prepared a marriage contract that limited how much time a couple could spend with their in-laws, which happened to be no more than two consecutive days. (laughs) Given the stress of family visits, this one could be ripe for wider adoption. Okay. Okay, here's another fun, uncomfortable one. Weight watching. Adding a few extra pounds can cost more than the price of a new wardrobe. I've heard of this one before. One wife's prenuptial agreement limited her weight to 120 pounds. (laughs) Penalty for being over the fighting weight. She gives up $100,000 of her separate property. Another prenuptial agreement included a $500 fine for each excess pound the wife gained. All's fair in lifestyle clauses. One wife added a maximum weight stipulation of 180 pounds for her husband. Oh my gosh. So they're weighing each other on a regular basis. If they let themselves go, they're forfeiting cash. What about pregnancy? Or I wonder how long you have to lose the weight after pregnancy. 
I wonder if there's something about that in... I don't know. Let's get to an interesting one. High infidelity. Actress Catherine Zeta-Jones is rumored to have an infidelity clause in her... I've read this a lot. I've read this one before, yeah. yeah. An infidelity clause in her prenup with Michael Douglas. Jones stands to pocket several million dollars if Douglas is unfaithful. Since sleeping around isn't exactly rare in the acting world, this little clause would definitely motivate a fidelity double take. Yeah, because he was a big cheater, I guess, with his other mm-hmm. girlfriends and wife. She's like, I love you, but I don't trust you. Right. So we're going to put that in. There's another one that says, just say no to drug addicts and workaholics. One prenuptial agreement contained a requirement for random drug testing. Positive results result in fines. Another contract stipulated how long the husband could work before he retired. I like that one. <laughs> so that way you're like, Nope, you're done. You're going to stay home and stare at me all day. Or have fun with me all day. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we got Catholic or Jewish, meat or veggies. When it comes to child-rearing plans, some prenups read like parenting books. Prenups can include specifics such as whether the child will be reared as a vegetarian and what school the child will attend. Hmm. These are clearly like, I don't know what you call them. Top 1% issues. This sounds like well-to-do folk. <laughs> but anyway, it says nothing is left to chance. In mixed religion households, religious upbringings are decided in advance. The, mm-hmm. quote, no diaper clause is a popular one for couples who don't want to have children. Oh, so they go in agreeing that they're not going to want to have kids. Yep. And then if someone changes their mind years down the road then that's a big no-no. That's it, because you agreed to it, and it's in writing. Hmm. The joy of sex. Sexual issues in prenuptial agreements can include how often a couple will have sex. (laughs) One elderly pair settled on once a month, while a younger couple agreed to three to four times a week. Okay. Other couples stipulated mandatory sexual positions. (gasps) Like fellatio? I, I don't know. Oh. It's a position. Oh, okay. says, although lifestyle clauses are gaining in popularity, they are rarely enforceable in court. In fact, too many bizarre clauses may invalidate the entire prenup. While many states have adopted the Uniform Premarital Agreement Act, uniform standards regarding enforcement of marital contracts have not been established. That leaves the enforcement or voiding of an agreement at a judge's discretion which can reflect court values, not uniform law. So in other words, they're saying that even though you have it all written down, you've agreed to it, in theory, it still may not actually hold up in court. I wanted to give you an example of a cheating clause. Okay. It says, with 55% of divorcing couples saying infidelity was the reason behind their divorce, the cheating clause seems to make sense on paper. You can literally make your partner pay if you catch them cheating. Mm. Denise Richards took full advantage of this when she was married to Charlie Sheen. (laughs) She reportedly made $4 million Uh off of his indiscretions. So evidently, they did have a cheating clause, and it was upheld in court, and she made the money. She did, because that man was banging a lot of girls. Oh my gosh. He's up there. All right, last one. This one's interesting. It's called a dating clause. And as an example, 
It says high profile couples have even added this to their prenup. Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan reportedly have it written down that the Facebook founder needs to spend a minimum of 100 minutes with Chan alone outside the office every week. Oh. Which doesn't seem like a lot, but if you read into it, they basically have to have a date night Mm -hmm. every week, and they can't be on their devices or be checking Facebook. Okay, that's (laughs) cute. So that's something she wanted. Right, and I believe she's in the medical field. She works too. Oh, okay. Yeah, like she's a smart cookie, so I... I understand that. Yeah. She's not at home like baking bread and waiting for him to get home. I would think at that level, you just don't do things like that anymore. There's no point. You mean bake bread? You don't. Yeah. The, your time is infinitely valuable. Mm. So you wouldn't waste time doing something like that unless you really, really like it. Yeah. No, she works. And I think they have kids. So I get it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Good job. So do you wish we had done a prenup? With what? We don't... (laughs) I don't know. We don't have anything. No, there's a prenup for money, division of money. But if you have no money, then do you do a prenup for expectations of the marriage? No, I think we just went into it kind of knowing what to expect. Yeah. It's not like we hadn't dated for four years before we got married. That's true. And we lived together for most of that time. Living in sin. (laughs) So, I mean, I kind of knew what I was getting into, and so did you. That's true. I don't think we were too surprised. No. Like, oh, God, I wish I had known. (laughs) There weren't too many of those. No. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, you're welcome, fellow echo chamber girl (laughs) person. But it's fun to stare at your face and talk to you. But at least I get to cover my mouth because I'm hiding behind the microphone. (laughs) All right. Thanks, honey. You're welcome. Daniel. Yes, sweetheart. (laughs) Are you ready for my case? Do it to me. This is the case of Troy Timar and Teresa Horline Voss. Is that all one word? (laughs) No, it's two words. Okay. Or three. Three. Her name is three words. Teresa Horline Voss. Okay, so the last name is Horline Voss. No. Well, yes. Horline is her maiden name and Voss is her... Married name, but she's been married a few times. But those are the two that I decided to use. All right, well, we will not call her Teresa Hoare for short (laughs) (laughs) because even though it's easier to say, you might want to, you don't know. Okay, we'll see how it works out. (laughs) Okay, I'm sure she's a lovely lady. Mm. Well, on July 4th, 1999, around 4 15 a.m. Just as dawn began to break over southern Ohio, a call came into Warren County 911. A car was engulfed in flames on the property of an abandoned farmhouse on Mason Morrow Millgrove Road in South Lebanon. The local fire department was dispatched to the scene. They were able to get the 40-foot-high blaze under control and the fire was extinguished in record time. To make sure the fire was completely out, the hood and trunk were opened. 
At first, it appeared that there was a large deer carcass burned in the trunk. But they soon realized that it was in fact not a deer, but a badly burned human body. Oh boy. Now these poor guys were in shock. That's not what you expect to find. No. This person had been charred beyond recognition. They didn't know for sure if it was a male or female. Oh, geez. The fire lieutenant on the scene ordered his crew to step away from the vehicle and approached a police officer who was at the scene about the new situation they had found themselves in. This wasn't just a vehicle fire. This was now a crime scene. While processing the area around the burned out car, two 40 caliber gun casings were found along with a key and a key fob plus a license plate. Fingerprints were not found inside or outside the car. The fire had burned too hot for any physical evidence to have survived. What they did find was a huge blood stain on the driver's seat. So even that survived. That survived what they could see. They could see that there was blood on the driver's seat. The barbecue. There was an accelerant trail visible in the grass. Uh Uh-oh. The fuse was lit 25 feet from the car. Someone knew what they were doing. So they knew not to light the accelerant while they're standing right next to it. Right. They They, made a trail of accelerant into this driveway and then lit it on fire. That makes sense. That's what I would do. See, I wouldn't have even thought of that. I would have just thrown a match on it and caught myself on fire. Probably. probably. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Using the license plate number, it was quickly discovered that the car in question was a 1998 Ford Mustang and was registered to a Jimmy T. Mar Jr. who was living in Deer Park, Ohio, located 25 miles south from the abandoned farmhouse. In the police photos, I saw that the front bumper was burned, but there was a little area that wasn't burned, so the car was black. Not that you really need to know that, but I was curious, so I figured that out. The original color of the car is black. Yeah, it was a black 98 Mustang. Nice. Can you picture that in your head? Oh, yeah. Do you want me to pull a picture of it up? No, I know what it is. An investigator dialed the phone number connected to the car registration, and Jimmy answered the call. He was alive and well, so that wasn't him in the trunk. When asked who had been driving his car, he answered that his brother... 30-year-old Troy Timar had borrowed his car the day before, but Troy had not returned it. Interviewing Jimmy further, investigators were told that the brothers had been living together for a few months and shared vehicles. Jimmy owned the Mustang, and Troy owned a truck. Jimmy had seen his brother watching television in the living room on the evening of July 3rd. Jimmy had gone upstairs to take a shower And when he returned, Troy was gone, and so was the Mustang. He never heard or saw his brother again. So Troy just took the car. He didn't Mm, tell his brother he was taking it. Yeah. Okay. So was the body found in the trunk Troy's, or was it someone else? But he was the last one with the car and the keys and all that. Yes. Okay. An autopsy was performed, And the body found in the trunk was confirmed by their dental records to be that of 30-year-old Troy Timar. So this was Troy. But Troy had not died from the fire. He had been shot. 
Oh, yeah, because you said there was bullet casings. Yeah, he'd been shot twice, once in the chest and once near his back with a forty caliber handgun, possibly a Glock. Huh. So what's the difference between a handgun and a Glock? I thought they were the same. Nothing. A Glock is a brand. Oh, okay. It's a common brand. It's pretty common in law enforcement. Mm. So it gets a lot of like publicity because people say Glock. It's, but it's a good gun. I mean, it works well. So it's it's very common. But that's a manufacturer. Okay. Glock. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, because it's you can have like a Glock that's a nine nine millimeter or a thirty eight or a forty. A Glock nine millimeter handgun is probably one of the most common handguns out there because of law enforcement and because it's a really common size. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Carry on. Okay. A forty is pretty big. A forty five is ridiculous. <laughs> it's a hand cannon. So okay. Yeah. The medical examiner believed that Troy had bled out inside the car. Because remember that big stain found on right. the driver's side? Yeah. His 190-pound body, which was now 96 pounds, was moved to the trunk and accelerant was poured over his body and then onto the car. Then using the trail of accelerant as a fuse, it was lit on fire. So he was already dead. Okay, so... Presumably, he's sitting in the driver's seat. He's shot and killed. They pull him out of the driver's seat, place him in the trunk, light the car on fire. Yes. To crime scene investigators, the assailant must have been standing outside the vehicle and fired the gun while leaning into the car from the driver's side window. Okay. So yeah. they he wasn't shot from inside that car. Somebody was outside. No, that's what I pictured. Mm-hmm. Firing two rounds at Troy. And Troy's kind of captive because he's sitting in the driver's seat. So where's he going to go? Right. There's nowhere for him to go. Yeah. Investigators also believe that the murder was premeditated, considering the location of the car on the property of an abandoned farmhouse in a rural area of Warren County. This must have been thought out by someone he knew, because how could somebody get him out to that spot? Right? Yeah. Troy's family and friends were devastated by his death. Troy was the golden boy of Deer Park, known by most residents in this town. Troy had been a popular football star at the local high school, even winning homecoming king. Wow. But he wasn't one of those a-hole jocks that we all knew back in the day. Troy was actually a really nice guy known for his kindness, humor, and work ethic. So he graduated in 1987, I believe. So think back to those 80s movies, and it's the jock and the popular guy and the homecoming king. That wasn't him. That wasn't Troy at all. He He, was just a normal guy who was decent and didn't let it go to his head. Yeah, and everybody liked him. He was nice to everybody. Okay. This was really devastating for this town. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it was really sad. After college, Troy came home and started working as a project manager for a local construction company, but in the last year had started his own construction company, Tmar Construction. So he was doing it. So he's, yeah, yeah. he's 30, he's, he's making something of himself. Absolutely. Deer Park loved Troy, and Troy loved the ladies of Deer Park. He was kind of known as a ladies' man. 
Is he a handsome fella? He's a very handsome fella. That helps. Do you want to see a picture? Kind of. <laughs> He's kind of what you would expect. Tall, dark, and handsome. Oh, okay. There you go. All right. Yeah. When was that taken? Close close, close to the time yeah. he died? Okay. Mm-hmm. The handsome dude. Yeah, he looks like a dude in his late 20s. No gray hair. Still, still has dark hair. Still has all his hair. Clean shaven. Now, Troy dated many women over the years, but never really found the one. Well, you got to try them all. Don't you, though? It's like going into an ice cream shop. <laughs> well, Troy was a charmer, but he didn't have any enemies. So who in the world would have wanted him dead? Maybe all the other men that weren't quite as handsome as him. They're taking all their... But he was such a nice guy, everybody liked him. Well. Well, except for one person. Think, yeah. But... Their first suspect was his brother, Jimmy. What? Because he had been driving his car. Okay. But he was quickly ruled out because according to the 40 to 50 people interviewed by the investigators, the brothers were extremely close and there was no way that Jimmy would have killed Troy. They were just a really close family, very tight knit. So everybody that they interviewed was like, there is no freaking way that Jimmy would have killed him ever. And especially to be shot in a car and then lit on fire. Right. That's pretty... That's anger. That's pretty advanced, I think. And plus, Jimmy was with his girlfriend all night, so he had a pretty tight alibi. Okay. Well, I'm glad it wasn't his brother. Me too. I wouldn't have been doing this case if it was his brother. In talking with a few of Troy's close friends, they learned that he had recently started secretly dating a woman by the name of Gabby. Now, I don't think this was really her name. I think they're just kind of protecting her... Sure. In a way, I've heard and I've read a few different names given to this particular woman. So we're just going to go with Gabby. Okay. They had met while Troy's construction company was remodeling her house. The only problem was that Gabby was married. Oh. Uh Uh-oh. Stay away from them married chicks. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Soon, Gabby was being interviewed and told the detectives that she and Troy had been dating for six weeks, but she seemed genuinely upset by Troy's death. They even said that she was devastated by his death. Gabby was asked about her whereabouts the night of the third, and she told them that she had gone camping with her husband 60 miles away. When asked if her husband knew about the affair, she answered no. He had no idea. Investigators did need to talk to Gabby's husband to corroborate her alibi. So he was brought in for questioning. Now, without telling the husband about his wife's indiscretions, he was asked if he knew Troy Timar, to which he replied, yes, he knew Troy. He had done the remodel of he and Gabby's home. The husband was then asked about his whereabouts for July 3rd. He told them that he and Gabby had left to go camping with his boss and his family around 2 p.m. Now, they actually went camping in another state. So there was all these witnesses that Gabby and her husband were not in the vicinity. So they definitely were gone. They were gone. Okay. Right. All right. Gabby and her husband had an airtight alibi. So neither one of them was the murderer. And it did say that the investigators did not tell the husband that Gabby had been cheating on him, but 
I'm sure he knows. And what were the conditions of the cheating? Was it It was sex. No, it was sexual. Like they were dating. But I mean, was it occasionally or was it on a consistent basis? It was on a consistent basis. They were Meaning they were current. They were current. They were in a full-fledged relationship. So had he not been shot and burned, they still would have been seeing each other. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it was still going on. It had not ended. Gotcha. A few days after the murder, investigators were able to subpoena Troy's phone records. Looking at the day of July 3rd, one number showed up numerous times. The number in question belonged to a woman by the name of Teresa, also known as Terry Horline. Okay, now we're coming back to Terry We are. Which, according to friends and family, was Troy's ex-girlfriend. Oh, okay. Around 9 p.m., Terry called Troy, and he eventually called her back. According to the phone records, that was the last time that Troy had spoken to anyone via his phone. Right. There were no more calls to or from Troy's phone for the rest of the evening, which was really weird. I mean, well... Well, why would Troy's ex-girlfriend be calling him all day? And why would he take her call late at night? Especially when he was seeing someone new and Terry was also seeing someone new. So what did they have to talk about? Maybe they were trying to rekindle it. Maybe. Maybe she sent him some racy photos and she was following through with it over the phone. Well, it's 1999, so we're not doing any texting sexy pictures. Maybe... Maybe she in an mailed, email. mailed him a picture. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Like a snail mail? Maybe she's... You can't even really... Even texting wasn't that big. Well, I guess a little bit. No. Not no. so much. You definitely could not send booby pictures No, 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 no pictures. No, I just meant maybe she was sending... Never mind. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> Forget about it. Okay, so they had to do it the old-fashioned way. So yeah, that is kind of odd. That they were speaking, and they both have significant others. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, why aren't they just ignoring one another like normal people? at the time, Troy's current girlfriend is actually a married wife. Yes. What could go wrong? (laughs) Seems fine. Troy and Terry met in February of 1996, when the 32-year-old Terry was hired as the office manager and bookkeeper at Capital Construction, where Troy was working as a project manager. The two hit it off immediately and were soon in love. Terry, a twice-divorced mother of two, moved into Troy's home soon after. Now, two years into their relationship, Troy and Terry decided to go into business together. And in January of 1998, the couple started their own construction company called Tmar Construction. He started a business with a girlfriend. They're not married. And then she's living with him. Twice divorced. Twice divorced. Goodness. Okay. Seems like a lot of drama. (laughs) For the first few months, the business thrived. But soon the projects began to slow down and they started to struggle financially. Terry had to take a second job with a plumbing company to help with the day-to-day finances. But in December of 1998, it was discovered that Terry had been embezzling money from the plumbing company. Oh, that's not very nice. (laughs) When confronted with their suspicions, she confessed. 
saying that she had stolen the money to help Troy. Troy was shocked. He never thought that Terry was capable of stealing money. And to make matters worse, the owner of the plumbing business was a good friend of Troy's. Okay. So your girlfriend's stealing money from your friend, basically. Oh, jeez. Terry pled guilty to felony theft and was enrolled in a program to make restitution. But Troy was the one who ended up paying back his friend. This obviously put a strain on the relationship. And by March of 1999, Terry moved out of Troy's home in Deer Park and moved in with her parents. Around that same time, Troy moved out of that house and in with his brother, Jimmy. I'm assuming that he had to sell that house to pay back the money owed. That's what I'm thinking happened. That's horrible. Yeah. Troy and Terry did continue seeing each other on and off. Why? Never fully closing that door. There was just something that kept drawing them to each other. But she kind of financially, not ruined him, but put him in a really bad spot. Not to mention the fact that she's a criminal. That's not attractive to me at all. Just saying. No, I wouldn't think so. A couple days after Troy's death, Terry was brought in for questioning. As Terry walked into the interview room, one of the detectives noticed that she had scratches on her face and on her arms and on her legs. Maybe she has cats. Maybe. She told detectives that even though she and Troy had broken up, they had remained friends. Terry was asked about the night of the third. She admitted to calling Troy throughout the day and possibly being the last person to see him alive. Well, besides the killer. Because Troy picked her up at her parents' home between 10 and 10.30 p.m. They went to Lunkin Airport and sat and talked for a while in the car, then drove to French Park in Amberley Village. They parked the car and got out of the vehicle, chatting while walking a path into the woods. Troy then dropped her back off at her parents' home around 12.30. According to her, they were together for two to two and a half hours, and then Troy drove away, and she never saw him again. So according to her, they just drove around and drove around and drove around and talked. And just chatted and then away. And walked in the woods. Yeah. And then got back in the car and then dropped her off. That's why stuff would you, you do in your 20s. Yeah, you don't why do that you, in your 30s. <laughs> well, they weren't quite 30. Yeah. He was 30 and she was 32. Oh, okay. Why would they do that, though? They already broke up. Aren't they seeing other people at yeah. this point? Right. So who, why who, would you do that? Who drives around talking? Not me. (laughs) We don't even do that. No. Ugh. Terry had no idea how Troy ended up at the abandoned farmhouse, which was only a 15-minute drive from Terry's parents' home, where she was living at the time. Mm. Terry's dad told investigators that he saw Terry come home around 1130 and then go upstairs. And a few minutes later, Terry came back downstairs and did her nails while her dad watched a show. Okay. But she told the police she was home at 1230. Is this 1230 at night? Yes. Okay. Late. 1230 a.m. Meaning midnight. Yes. She did her nails at midnight? Does anyone sleep? (laughs) Good God. Been asleep for hours at that point. 
Well, around 1 a.m., Terry's brother, Eric Horline, arrived home and their dad went upstairs to bed. Okay. So the brother's living there too. These are some night owls. She then hung out with her brother, Eric. I feel like you're leading the story. Aren't I supposed to be leading the story? Into a certain direction. So you sound smart or stupid. You're you're planting thoughts in my head. (laughs) Eric Horline was asked about his whereabouts on the evening of the third. He told the investigators that he attended an AA meeting that started at 11 p.m. But I also had read that he was at work. So there, I have two different. Okay, so she comes home. At some point, close to midnight, brother comes home at one, mm-hmm. and then they just hang out? Yeah. Are they on meth? No. <laughs> what the hell are they no. doing? I would be- I'd be I asleep on the couch. I don't care who you are. There's no way. Yeah. Unless they sleep during the day. Are they vampires? <laughs> I don't know. You know what, though? I would hang out with my brother. At one? You probably, if we have a really good conversation. Maybe. I mean, he Maybe. cracks me up. Okay. All right. Well, when the meeting was over, when the AA meeting was over, Eric went to a local waffle house for a cup of coffee and then arrived back to his parents' home around 1 a.m. and then continued the evening hanging out with his sister. That was it. They all had an alibi. Maybe that's what it is. He had that just really good coffee that you get at a waffle house. And that kept him up. Why would you go to a Waffle House for coffee? Maybe it's the only place that's open. I don't know. And if you go to a Waffle House, you can't just get coffee. You got to get waffles. Waffles. And you got to get the the hash browns smothered and covered. But investigators were soon contacted by a friend of Troy's. This friend had an interesting story. Ooh. It seemed that the couple's relationship was not strained by the embezzlement. That's not what broke them up, officially. No, not the embezzlement at all. No, it turned out that four months prior, Troy had been arrested and put in jail for domestic abuse. What? Terry had accused Troy of throwing her down the basement stairs and causing bodily harm. Eventually, Terry admitted to fabricating the entire story and had been stabbing herself with multiple sewing needles... So there was blood. So that he could get arrested. Yeah, because Troy had asked her to move out. So she was pissed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Troy was released from jail and told this friend that she, meaning Terry, had gone too far. And this event was a deal breaker. You think? (laughs) Yeah. Jesus. She's a little cray cray. Not only should it be too. Well, did he file charges against her? No. What the hell is wrong with these guys? She gets away with a lot. Oh, my god! As gosh. we'll get into. Yeah. She had a magical vagina, I no, think. No, there's no such thing. <laughs> no, he needs to. Well, it's too late now, but he should have sued her, done. I don't know what. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Investigators now knew that the relationship had turned volatile, But with trace evidence burned up in the fire and no murder weapon, all the evidence investigators had was circumstantial. Within months, this case went cold, ice cold. So they have no idea who lit the car on fire and fired the shots. No. Or vice versa. All they knew was that there was one person in Deer Park 
who hated Troy and, who? and was with Troy the evening that he died, but they couldn't prove that she had anything to do with it. But the only reason she hated him was because it was over. But she caused it to be over. Exactly. It, it's not like he did something to drive her away. She did something to drive him away and then is mad at him for being driven away. Yeah, he's just supposed to forgive her and then they move on. What a psycho. <laughs> well, four years later, oh, God. in four April years? of 2003, Are you serious? a task force was created at the Warren County Sheriff's Office to take oh. another look at a few of the area's cold cases. Troy's was the first case to be reopened. Yay! Okay. The cold case investigator decided to focus on Terry. He knew Terry had something to do with this. During those four years after Troy was murdered, Terry had remarried and officially became Teresa Voss. She and her new husband had even had a child together. So she got to go on with her life. Okay, so now she's on number three. Yes. And she's had two prior divorces, two kids, prosecuted for embezzlement. False domestic abuse. False (laughs) accusations, self-inflicted wounds to make that stand up, sort of. And a guy still wants her? He sure did. I have have no faith in humanity anymore. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Like, what the hell is wrong with people? You would be better off alone for the rest of your life than with a person like that. Well... That's our opinion. I, no, there's no, no, that's not an opinion. That's a fact. Oh, well, whatever. It was hard to imagine why Troy would have been with Terry alone that night. Yeah. After she had had him arrested on a false domestic violence charge. Why would he have even put himself in that situation? Plus, Troy was dating someone new and he was moving on. So what? why would he want anything to do with her? Now, first, the task force focused on the timeline and the route that Terry said Troy drove. Now, she says that he picked her up from her parents' home after 10 p.m. and dropped her off around 1230, giving them at the most two and a half hours together. According to Terry's timeline, that was not enough time to drive to the airport talk for a while. So they were giving her like 20 to 30 minutes of talking time at these locations. Then drive over to the park and walk a path into the woods and then walking through the front door by 1230. There was not enough time to do all of that. And wouldn't this walk in the park be in the dark? Yeah, on a path into the woods. No. Why would he go anywhere with her, especially into a dark the dark woods and she's crazy well yeah she's nuts so you wouldn't want to go anywhere with her because she could spin it she could make something up she could uh, i don't know yeah she could beat herself up yeah and then say that he did it while they were walking in the park yeah or i wouldn't put it past her i wouldn't I wouldn't trust that at all. But that is her story. That's her story. So, so they're checking the timeline. Yeah, that's probably not what happened. A detective even drove the route, and it was impossible. That was not enough time. No. Plus, the park ranger in charge of the area in 1999 said that the park was closed that night. Okay, so they couldn't have gone in. 
I mean, I guess they could have okay, slipped that's, in. Okay, that's what I mean. But... Like, he's saying that it's closed, so the parking lot was closed, so they couldn't have pulled in and parked there. But, I mean, we lived near Bidwell Park in Chico, California, and they would close the areas that you could park. But you could still walk. But we could still walk it. Sure. We could park along the side and yeah. go in. So, I mean, you there's could still ways be to get a around it. crazy psycho killer that waits in the bushes in the dark for someone to walk <laughs> by at night. Yeah. I don't know why we would use no, to do nobody that. Should, so no one should be walking through parks at night in no, the dark. You're crazy. Please don't. Just sit at home on your couch. It's healthier. And remember, okay. Terry's dad said that she had come home around 1130. If, yeah, so there's no way. Right. So if Troy had picked her up between 10 and 1030, and then she walked in that door at 1130, that was only an hour. Really, a little over an hour that they were together. Maybe they jogged. (laughs) So why lie unless you have something to hide? There's no other reason for her to be lying about the situation. That's true. The task force began digging deeper into Terry's background, and it turned out to be pretty frightening. Seems Terry had a hard time with rejection, especially when it came from a man that she was in a relationship with. Oh, God. And meanwhile, she has husband number three and another child with him. After Terry's second husband filed for divorce, he awoke one night in 1995 to Terry stabbing him with a knife over and over again in the neck. And she just missed his carotid artery, but he survived the brutal attack. And she didn't get prosecuted criminally no she was taken to a psychiatric hospital and her ex-husband didn't press any charges these guys are dumb she was millimeters away from his artery and he would have died instantly had she hit that so that was an attempted murder no she did no i know but i'm saying that's what that was because she was trying to kill him yeah she She was was trying to stab him in the neck and she just wasn't quite good enough. <laughs> so I don't understand oh how he let her just get away with that and just go to a psychiatric hospital. Plus, if she gets a record, maybe other guys might stay away from her. Yeah, they'd be you like, know, they the, would call her Crazy Terry. Right. There then, goes Crazy Terry. Don't sleep with her. At least the ones that value their lives and their necks. Well, a boyfriend of Terry's named John Traub was attacked by a hatchet-wielding intruder while he slept in the fall of 1995, days after he had broken off a relationship with Terry. The hatchet went through John's right hand and cut off two of his fingers. What? Yeah, like he held up his hand right before the hatchet went down the first time, and it cut through his hand and took off two of his fingers, but they were able to reattach him. And Except they mixed them up. So they no, just no, his hand looks fine. The intruder ran out of the house, but two days later confessed to the attack and then was taken to jail. Now, according to this man, he was persuaded to attack John by John's live-in girlfriend, Terry. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So fast forward then. Troy then gets involved with Terry And thinks it's a good idea to start a business with her? I don't think he knew about this. Oh, my God. Yeah. So she had even met the intruder at the front door, and she was the one that handed him the hatchet. 
All right, and I- then led him down the hallway to where John was was asleep. All right, I have a moral question. What? If you were a parent of a child, because the dad knows she's like this. Mm-hmm. He knows. The family mm-hmm. knows. And a new guy shows up. And this, she is now a serial, what would you say? Uh, boyfriend. Boyfriend, murderer, her, attempted murderer, her. if they leave her kind of person. Yeah, she did not like to be dumped. She didn't like to be rejected. Okay, wouldn't you either anonymously or directly say, hey, I just want you to know who you're getting involved with? I'd be afraid that she was going to kill me in the middle of the night if that was my kid. Right. So what I'm saying is, wouldn't wouldn't you be a little worried? Absolutely. And then warn other people? Probably. <laughs> yeah. That's just the like, kind of parent I am. Wouldn't you always wonder if your daughter's leaving and coming back and she's with a guy that something's going to end badly in this yet again in another relationship? Well, yes. That's my moral we... question. Like, what would a parent be willing to tell the truth to basically ahead of time? So because they're like, one of these days, this is going to end badly. And I already know it. Well, you hope that parents will. But a lot of times parents put their kids up on this pedestal and think, oh, no way, that couldn't have been my kid. Especially because Terry was never held accountable for the attack with the hatchet. Yeah. And she wasn't held accountable for trying to kill her ex-husband with a knife in the neck. So no one told anyone. So these other men had no idea that she's a psychopath. Yeah, out of all the limited information I had, no one said anyone was warned about her. That's crazy to me, but okay. The cold case detectives were convinced that Terry had something to do with Troy's murder Mm -hmm. now that they're seeing all this other stuff. She had a pattern of violent behavior, but Terry was small. She was very petite. She was about 115 pounds soaking wet. Oh, so she was sticking to her weight prenups. Oh, stop. She could never have moved Troy's body by herself. So she had to have had an accomplice. But who? Yeah, she couldn't have carried him and put him in that trunk because they know that he bled out in that front seat. So somehow he was moved to the trunk, but she couldn't have done it. There's no way. 115 pounds versus 190 pounds. You're right. She must have a magic vagina. (laughs) (laughs) How could she convince someone to help her? Okay, well, the closest person to Terry at the time of the murder was her brother, Eric Horline. Oh. Could Terry have convinced her brother to help her? And we we did prejudge him a little bit. Everyone did. I did. Who? I'll be honest. Her Who? brother. Why? Because you said he came home from AA. Well, so that, that was means, one of the stories. So that, oh, okay. Another but, I mean, story was that he was at work. But immediately when I hear that, you kind of can't help, but you put them in a little bit of a different box. It's like, oh, okay, so he he has a problem with alcohol. Or like he did, brother. but he was getting no, help no, no, for that's it. That's good. And, Lots of people yeah. do. I'm just saying that maybe you know, because you're putting that out there, like maybe it was her brother. Well, he is, you know, recovering alcoholic, which maybe means he doesn't have the best judgment or something. I don't know. Right, but that was also part of his alibi. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I'll stop guessing. Well, it's fun when well, you guess. Because you say things, so then I'm going down that direction about I know. the brother. I know. I'm like, well, I already prejudiced him. 
because he, he's a recovering alcoholic. So maybe he did something, you know, while under the influence of alcohol. I don't know. You are a horrible person to have that thought. That, that people do things under the influence of alcohol? It happens all the time. It does. I'm just teasing you. Oh, okay. I'm just teasing I'm just you because a lot here. of times people hammer you for having opinions. But everyone has opinions. <laughs> they just don't say don't them out loud. I don't have that many. Okay. Well, and I'll just keep sitting here then. Oh, stop. My job just, is to... What is my I'll job? I'll stare off into an echoey corner of this room. <laughs> just... <laughs> zone out well my right, job so is brother my job is not to bury the lead my job is to keep you interested oh, okay. while i'm telling you the story so i'm going to take you down a million different paths You're trying to confuse okay just carry on because i like to hear your guesses mm. so does 11 other people all right it's not the alcoholic brother eric was once again brought in for questioning now, this is almost six years after Troy was found dead and burned in the trunk of the Mustang. Man. According to one source I read, the detectives had called the location of the AA meeting where Eric had said he'd been the night of the third, and there was never an AA meeting that night at 11 p.m. That was too late. Oh. Mm-hmm. So he lied. Armed with that piece of information, they told Eric that they knew that his story was a lie. So not only did he not go to the AA meeting, he was probably out drinking. Dan, no, no, he was a recovering alcoholic. Says who? He didn't even go to the AA meeting that night. Well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. He just used no. that as an alibi. Okay. okay. Well, Eric finally broke. He looked up at the investigators and said, quote unquote. I did it. I didn't shoot him. Oh, okay. And then they asked him, well, who did? And he said, his sister, Terry, that Jeez. Terry had shot him. Eric said that about a month before the murder, Terry had asked him if she could borrow a gun. She needed to scare someone. No, Eric, Eric no, loaned should, <laughs> no should be always the answer to that request. No. Eric loaned Terry a forty caliber Glock which matched the gunshot wounds and the bullet casings. On the evening of the 3rd, Terry had called him between 10.30 and 11 p.m. She told Eric that she had gotten in an argument with Troy and needed a ride home. Eric drove to the location that she gave him, the abandoned farmhouse, and when he pulled up near the Mustang, he saw Troy's body lying on the ground, next to the driver's side door. He told Terry that they needed to call an ambulance. Terry told him that it was too late and he needed to help her take care of the scene. Eric reluctantly agreed. Now, Eric carried Troy's body to the back of the car and placed him in the trunk. So it was Eric that moved the body. The siblings left the scene and Terry threw the gun away in a gas station dumpster and then drove back to their parents' home where their dad said he saw Terry around 11.30 p.m. So we're on a totally different timeline now. After the dad went to bed, they drove back to the scene with cans of gasoline and doused Troy's body and the entire car with the accelerant, then made a 25-foot fuse from the car to the driveway and then lit that fuse igniting the car into a fireball around 4 a.m. 
Now, the car was only on fire for 15 to 20 minutes before fire crews were at the scene. There was so much acceleration on the car that it burned really big and really hot. Yeah. So that's why it just happened so fast. I'm surprised someone saw it at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it was just a passerby. Because it was probably pretty dark out there anyway, so. Well, you're seeing 40-foot flames in the air. Well, that's what I was going to say. At night, you wouldn't see the smoke, but you'd see this bright fire. Yeah, they called it a fireball. Yeah. Eric was remorseful for his actions and said that he had done what he was told to do. So somehow, Terry had some control over her brother. Is this woman just amazing at manipulating men, including her brother? Yeah, that's what I got out of it, for sure. Even with the giant warning signs constantly surrounding her, she's still able to convince guys to do stuff. Yeah, even family members. That's amazing. I mean, the biggest thing is, hey, I need to borrow your gun so I can scare someone. That's a big fat no. To me... No one in the right mind who owns a gun should ever, ever loan a gun to anyone, Mm-mm. especially not someone saying those words. No. Eric was arrested, and with enough evidence against Terry, she was quickly arrested at her home and charged with the aggravated murder of her ex-boyfriend, Troy Timar. Terry went on trial in October of 2006. She pled not guilty. Eric testified against his sister at the trial. In exchange for his testimony, he was able to plead guilty to the reduced charge of abuse of a corpse and tampering with evidence. He told the jury exactly what he had told the investigators. The Troy was already dead when he arrived at the scene. He had only helped his sister and kept her secret for almost six years. The state believed that Terry had gotten Troy to finally answer his phone. She had possibly told him that she was going to end her life that night. And Troy, being the good guy he was, told Terry that he would pick her up so they could talk. I love that. The, if you don't come and talk to me, I'm going to kill myself. It sounds like she might have used that before with other people. And Troy was such a nice guy that he still wanted to protect her. Oh, God. Terry had him drive 15 minutes to the abandoned farmhouse. They believe that Terry was trying to manipulate Troy into getting back together with her, but he refused. Terry grabbed the car keys and threw them into the overgrown grass and got out of the car. Because remember they found the keys in the key fob outside of the vehicle? Yeah. She had the gun with her and made her way to the driver's side door pulled out the gun, and shot Troy in the chest. He turned away, and she shot again, causing Troy to bleed out in that driver's seat. Now, I think that Terry pulled him out of the driver's seat and realized that there was no way she was going to move his body, so she called her brother to help her. But more experienced forensic professionals believe that Troy was getting out of the car when he was shot. Oh, okay. Yeah, but if he was getting out of the car when he was being shot, there wouldn't have been such a large blood stain on the driver's seat. The medical examiner said they believed that he had bled out and died in the driver's seat. 
Or he started to get out and she approached him holding the gun and he backed kind of like mm. tried to back away back into the car. Yeah. Because he had nowhere to go. And then, you know, she, she, shot she said him. whatever she said. Ugh. And then pow. Because if she threw the keys out, then he's probably like, you stupid idiot. And no, then that's true. she jumps out and then he starts to get out and she has her gun. And how scary. He's like, what are you doing? You know, and then. Then she shoots him. How scary for him yeah. in that situation that the last thing he looked at was Terry holding a gun on him. This bat poop crazy lady. A lot of bat poop. <laughs> bat guano. <laughs> so crazy. this was a case of if I can't have you, then no one can. Imagine her newest husband and kid she made with the newest husband. Yeah. Hearing all this. Like. He realized this is what he got. Well, he divorced her in 2011, so. He waited that long. He huh? waited that long. <laughs> Goodness. So she, yeah, she's <laughs> pulled it off. Uh, all right. Well, <sighs> the defense told the jury that Eric was unreliable and that he had killed Troy. So she was trying to throw her brother under the bus. No. On October 26, after a three-day trial, Terry was found guilty of aggravated murder and was sentenced to life in prison, but would be eligible for parole after 30 years. And now she's getting out on good behavior next year. Is that what you're going to tell me? <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, so the, were they allowed to bring in the past indiscretions? Were those admissible into court, I wonder, in this case? I didn't read that they had brought in anybody to talk about her priors because she was never convicted for that. So that's really hearsay. Yeah. This was the only thing she was ever charged with. I still am hung up on the fact that nobody warned any of these men. Why didn't the brother warn the husband number three right before they were getting married? You know, like, I don't know. She had in, some sort wedding. of hold over these men. But including just, just her brother. A, just an anonymous little sticky note, you know? like <laughs> On the refrigerator. <laughs> something, yeah. Like an <laughs> anonymous letter. And then say, I want you to know who, you, who you're with. Mm. Do not marry this woman. She's crazy. Don't make a kid with her. I mean, something. All right. Well, PSA. Gosh. Don't let anybody get away with that. Terry made a statement in court. She said, I'm sorry. If I did this, I don't remember. I have oh, mental problems. She tried to plead insanity at first, and she said she had multiple personality disorder. Okay. She must have watched that movie Sybil one too many times back in the 80s. But she's of right mind to know to attempt that angle, which means she's pretty coherent. Possibly. I don't know. She just said that. Do I get to see a picture of her? Yeah. Hold on. Well, Eric Horline served five years in prison and was released in 2011. All right. Now, there is kind of a sad angle to this because a woman and her daughter were out driving around late at night because the mom wanted to teach her daughter like the proper driving techniques for nighttime driving. And they were on that abandoned stretch of road. And they had stopped the car and got out because they were switching places. And she said between 1030 and 11 o'clock, she heard somebody crying out for help in that area. And they didn't know where it was coming from. It sounded like a male. 
Oh, but they didn't know where it was coming from. They couldn't see any headlights or anything. So they believe that she heard Troy calling out for help. But obviously before she was shot to death. Or while he had been shot and he was bleeding out and he was calling uh, for help. Okay. Isn't that awful? That's horrible. Poor guy. And this poor woman to hear him and just not know how to get to him. And then they just left because she didn't know where this person was. So sad. And then you're always wondering in the back of your mind, like, was someone really in needed help? Or could I have helped him? Right. Yeah. Poor Troy. All right. Well, fun fact. Ready for a fun fact? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your face. The town of Deer Park was obviously devastated by the loss of Troy. In tribute to Troy, the press box at Deer Park High School football field was rededicated in his honor. There's a beautiful dedication plaque to him. Okay. And then multiple trees have been planted in his name. And there's an annual golf tournament in Troy's honor every year. And two of his nephews were named after him. So he was very much loved in this community. Yeah. And his family. And you hear his mom, she gives interviews about this, and she just adored her son. Everybody adored oh, him. Oh, I bet. So it was really sad. Daniel, what did you think of my case? I, I don't know. So many red flags. A lot of red flags. It seems like there were so many opportunities that anyone could have taken to prevent this. It was a preventable murder, very, for sure. Very, very much so. Mm-hmm. It's not like she just snapped. No. Because this isn't a snapped episode. She's been doing this. She has a track record of it over and over and over like she's crazy. And yet people still go for her. I mean, I get that it's a small town and there's no one else out there, possibly. But that's the thing. But it was a small town. So people knew exactly what... Yes this woman was capable of and knew the stories. And yet she was still able to find these nice guys who wanted to believe. Yeah. And who wanted to be with her. Yeah. They wanted to believe they were different and that it would be fine with them. Mm. It was the magical vagina. That's really what it was. It had to be. (laughs) And then when that lost its flavor, they dumped her butt and then she couldn't take the rejection and getting dumped then she would lose it yeah all right well fun times oh goodness yeah all right well my sources for this episode were as many articles as i could find terry's appeal records because of course you know she's appealing and an episode of nightmare next door nightmare on elm street (laughs) which i've never watched before i just feel really bad for Obviously, for Troy's family, it just, ugh. And she now has three children that have a psycho-crazy murder mom in prison. Who's in prison. Hopefully, they're- Hopefully, for the rest of her life. Hopefully, they're doing okay. They have a lot of great people in their lives. Ugh, I know. All right, well, you ready to do some Patreon shout-outs? I am. We got a lot of extras today because we forgot last episode. Sorry. All right, once again, thank you guys very much for supporting our humble show. For those of you here, I'm going to probably mess up your names. <laughs> Glenda H. Thank you. 
went cross-eyed for a second. Thank you, Glenda. I can't pronounce. Is this a name or is that a user ID? I think it's a user ID. Okay, I'm still going to try and read it. Just say the letters. Just say the letters. X-O-L-O-X-O, or is that an I? It's an L. 49. Thank you. Yeah, thank very, you. Thank you very much. Sarah I. Thank you, Sarah. Heidi S. Thanks, Heidi. Grace W. Thank you, Grace. Kayla. Thank you, Kayla C. Scarlet. Oh, that's a good name. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone named Scarlet. Thank you, Scarlet P. EJW. Thanks, EJ. Pasqual B. Thanks, Pasqual. Nancy M. Thank you, Nancy. And McCracken. McCracken Poston. Poston. Okay, I missed. I saw the Poston underneath. Do you know who that is? Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's the um, the lawyer that yeah. wrote the book. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to shout you out, McCracken, because if any of you remember the case of Alvin and Virginia Ridley, you know McCracken because he was the lawyer that represented Alvin. Yeah, that was a crazy case. And yes. I liked it because I, like every other listener, thought it was going a complete different direction than it actually did. Yes. And in the end, it's like, oh my gosh, this is why we do need a justice system. Absolutely. Because if you let the mob mentality, mentality, thank you, judge, it could turn out really bad. Yes. So luckily they had McCracken on their side. Absolutely. Now the love story between Alvin and Virginia is one of my all-time favorite love stories. And it's one of my favorite episodes that we've done. And McCracken wrote a book called The Zenith Man, which comes out in January. And I started reading it and it's incredible. This case is just incredible. And we hope to do some sort of follow-up episode with that because a lot of things have come out in the last couple years. And Alvin's doing great. And he and McCracken are super close. And that's another really cool relationship and the friendship between Alvin and McCracken. It could be a movie. Oh, I hope it is. One of those feel good movies that starts out sad, but it ends well. And then you're like tears in your eyes. You're like, oh my gosh. Oh yeah. I always want to cry even when I think about it, but Mm -hmm. hopefully we'll meet Alvin someday and go listen to that episode. Yeah. If you haven't listened to it, you'll, you'll see what I mean, obviously, but absolutely. But thank you McCracken for your support of our show. Thank you, sir. And for your friendship, actually. Thanks for being out there for sure. If you are enjoying our show, please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps, I guess. If you hate us, four stars. (laughs) And if you like us, five. You know, it's very simple. We are on social media. We are only on Instagram at Till Death Do Us Part Podcast. And we do have a TikTok. I don't know. I might start that up again because that's a great way to get people to listen to you. But I don't know. People are mean over there. I don't really want to have like to deal a with it. Different part of society, I think. It really is. I don't know. I don't know what a TikTok means. <laughs> if you'd like to hear from us more, you can head over to patreon.com and you can find us at Till Death Do Us Part Podcast. We have a lot of extra episodes over there and some spinoff shows that we've created. 
and, and we, we tr- have fun over there. And we try to deliver a good bang for your buck. Absolutely. In this day and age, I don't know what age, any age, really, that's a good thing, I think. It's a good bang. Yeah, no, I mean to get a good bang for your buck. Yeah. <laughs> we just said bang a lot, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and be careful. For marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. Yep. All right, bye, guys. Get a prenup. Bye. (laughs) 